I'm Philippa Webb, Professor of Public International Law at King's College London, and this is Lecture 3 in the series on Diplomatic and Consular Relations. And the focus is on consular relations, including consular notification and access. As with diplomatic relations, consular relations is a special regime with a treaty, the Vienna Convention on Consular Relations, that is well established, widely ratified, and considered to be customary international law. According to Article 73 of the Vienna Convention on Consular Relations, treaties in force before the convention remain in place and new bilateral agreements can be made that confirm, supplement, expand, or modify the convention. The Vienna Convention codified hundreds of years of practice that had evolved from the action of foreign missions looking out for the interests of their nationals overseas. But it also developed the law and broke new ground in recognizing a right to consular notification and access. And the treaty has made a significant contribution to friendly relations between states. Today, I'm going to look at four issues. First, the difference between diplomatic and consular relations. Second, consular functions. Third, the appointment of consular officers. And finally, consular notification and assistance. On the first point, diplomatic and consular relations both address the establishment and development of interstate relations. And the difference between them is one of scope and emphasis. Diplomatic relations concern political relations between states. Consular relations, on the other hand, concern the relationship between foreigners, citizens of the sending state, and the receiving state. And that's provided for in Article 5. A consular office may also deal with political affairs in a broader sense, such as economic, development, and cultural relations but it tends to leave political state-to-state -state relations to the diplomatic sphere. The establishment of both consular and diplomatic posts in a state depends on the consent of that receiving state. If a state consents to create a diplomatic mission, this includes the consent to establish a consular post. But a consular post may be restricted to part of the territory so it doesn't necessarily allow for the establishment of a diplomatic mission relating to the entire territory. So if a state only has a consular post in place, this may serve as a stepping stone towards the establishment of a diplomatic mission, but it doesn't establish one itself. Also, the end of diplomatic relations does not result in the automatic end of consular relations. The second point is consular functions, and these are laid out in Article 5 of the Vienna Convention on Consular Relations. They include promoting commercial, economic, cultural and scientific relations between the two states, issuing passports and travel documents, safeguarding the interests in the receiving state of the sending state's nationals, and that includes both individuals and body corporate. Nationals have the right to see a consul and to receive information or advice. Consuls may also observe the execution of international treaties. 
A good example is when the sending and receiving states have a most favoured nation clause between them. Consulates arrange for appropriate representation of the sending state's nationals before the tribunals of the receiving state. They also perform administrative functions such as acting as a public notary or serving judicial documents. This can include a wide range of activities, including voting, delivering judicial writs or other documents, receiving oaths and testimonies, hearing, the, hearing individuals as witnesses, parties or experts, and conducting marriages, divorces, uh, certifying wills and translations, and performing estate functions. Consulates may also exercise supervision and inspection of the sending state's national flag vessels and aircraft operating in the territory of the receiving state. And according to Article 5M of the Vienna Convention on Consular Relations, consuls can fulfill any function ordered by the sending state as long as they are not prohibited by the laws of the receiving state or there's no objection. There is a limitation on consular functions that is imposed by Article 55, which is that it requires respect for the laws and regulations of the receiving state and it must not interfere in the internal affairs of that state. My third point is consular officers. The procedures for appointment and admission are very similar to the Vienna Convention on Diplomatic Relations, but with some modifications to recognize the less political status of consular officers. According to Article 1, a consular officer is any person, including the head of a consular post, entrusted in that capacity with the exercise of consular functions. Consular officers may be limited to a consular district, which may be the whole territory of a receiving state or a smaller area. Their appointment requires the consent of both the sending and the receiving state for the duration of their time in office. And as I discuss in lecture four, a receiving state may refuse authorization, withdraw authorization, or declare an officer persona non grata. There are no nationality requirements for consular officers under the Vienna Convention, but in practice, they tend to be nationals of the sending state. There is, however, the position of honorary consul, and these are usually nationals of the receiving state instead of the sending state, or even nationals of a third state. Their function is by definition not permanent, they do not have the status of an official of the sending state, and they enjoy less protection under the convention. They are also permitted to engage in profit-making employment, unlike career consuls. Honorary consuls perform their functions on a voluntary basis, and it gives the sending state an opportunity to provide consular services to nationals without the costs of a regular consular post. And Lee and Quigley give the example of a British couple sailing around the world who were detained in Eritrea on suspicion of spying after their vessel entered a military area. And the couple was eventually released into the custody of a British honorary consul in Eritrea. Many states appoint honorary consuls to confer an honor on expatriates or foreigners with business or other ties to the sending state. 
The risk here is of the misuse of the official title, and courts often reject claims of immunity by honorary consuls based on the private nature of the activity in question. I now turn to my fourth point on consular notification and assistance. And this is provided for in Article 36 of the Vienna Convention on Consular Relations. And I would say it's the most controversial provision of the convention and the one that has attracted the most attention on the international level. Article, th uh, Article 36 provides that consular officers shall be free to communicate with nationals of the sending state and to have access to them. And nationals of the sending state shall have the same freedom with respect to communication with and access to consular officers of the sending state. And Article 36.1b is the one that has been the focus of some litigation on the international level. And it provides that if he so requests, the competent authorities of the receiving state shall, without delay, inform the consular post of the sending state if a national of that state is arrested or committed to prison or to custody pending trial or is detained in any other manner. And any communication addressed to the consular post by the person arrested, in prison, custody or detention shall be forwarded by the authorities without delay. And the authorities shall inform the person concerned without delay of his rights under this subparagraph. So you notice the phrase without delay is used three times in one short paragraph, indicating perhaps the urgency and importance of this form of communication. And paragraph two of Article 36 provides that the rights referred to in paragraph one shall be exercised in conformity with the laws and regulations of the receiving state, subject to the proviso that the laws and regulations must enable full effect to be given to the purposes for which the rights accorded under this article are intended. The International Court of Justice has observed that Article 36 creates an interrelated regime designed to facilitate the implementation of the system of consular protection, that is in the Lagrand case. And failure to inform the sending state causes a failure to provide for the communication and representation by the sending state. One of the key debates in this area has been whether Article 36 embodies an individual right or even a human right, and whether the rights of individuals simply reflect rights of the sending state vis-a-vis -vis the receiving state. In an advisory opinion by the Inter-American Court of Human Rights on the right to information on consular assistance in the framework of guarantees of the due process of law, the Inter-American Court held that the duty to notify detained nationals of the right to seek consular assistance under the Vienna Convention is owed to individuals as part of the corpus of human rights. The court said that such notice must be given at the moment the individuals are deprived of their liberty and in any case before they make their first statements to authorities. And failure to provide such notice in death penalty cases constitutes a violation of the right to be free from arbitrary detention, deprivation of life. 
The International Court of Justice has not gone as far in its interpretation as the Inter-American Court. In a series of cases, the ICJ has found that Article 36 is an individual right, but it has left open the question of whether such a right would also be a human right. But even its nature as an individual right is important, especially in states in which self-executing treaties are directly applicable and enforceable before domestic courts. And I just want to give an overview of some of the key cases in which the ICJ has considered Article 36 of the Vienna Convention on Consular Relations. One of the first cases was La Grande and Germany. In this case, two German nationals were sentenced to death in the United States. They were not informed of their rights to consular assistance when they were detained. And when they became aware of this right, they contacted their consulate and appealed the ruling on the basis that their Article 36 right had been violated. The US court rejected their appeal on the basis of a domestic rule called the procedural default rule. So Germany brought a claim on the interstate level against the United States for breaches of Articles 5 and 36 of the Vienna Convention on Consular Relations. And the ICJ found a breach of Article 36 for failing to inform the German nationals of their right and for not informing the German consulate of their detention. And it also found that the invocation of this domestic rule of procedural default was a breach of Article 36.2 of the Convention. In a similar case, but with a wider scope, Mexico brought a claim against the United States, again at the International Court of Justice, in the Avena case. In this case, instead of two individuals, it was 52 Mexican nationals on death row. And Mexico brought a claim arguing that they had not been informed of their right to consular assistance and the Mexican consulate had not been informed of their detention, contrary to Article 36 of the Vienna Convention. It also argued the application of the procedural default rule was a violation. And again, the ICJ found in favour of the applicant. It found the US had breached its obligation to inform and its obligation to notify under Article 36. And it also found that Article 36 too had been breached by the procedural default rule. And as a remedy, the court requested that the US review and reconsider the cases in the US courts with a view to ascertaining whether in each case the violation of Article 36 committed by the authorities had caused actual prejudice to the defendant in the process of the administration of criminal justice. There later was an interpretation case on Avena brought by Mexico asking whether this was an obligation of conduct or of result, but ultimately Mexico had, was found not to have fulfilled the conditions for an interpretation case. The most recent case on this topic has been the Jadav case, and it's between India and Pakistan. Mr. Jadav had been sentenced to death for espionage and terrorism in Pakistan. India claimed a violation of Article 36 of the Vienna Convention on Consular Relations. They said that Pakistan failed to inform India of Mr. Jadav's detention and that Mr. Jadav had not been informed of his right to consular assistance without delay. India also claimed that Indian consular officers had been denied access to Mr. Jadav and were therefore unable 
to arrange legal representation for him. The court accepted all three allegations and found a violation of Article 36. Interestingly, there was a declaration by Judge Robinson in the Jadav case. Whereas the majority of the court had simply found that this was an individual right, Judge Robinson went further, finding that it was not only a human right, but also essential to the right to a fair trial. He explained that the right to a fair trial under Article 14 of the ICCPR was not exhaustive in its list of rights, and other rights may be added to the list, provided they share the same essential characteristics. He added that the right to a fair trial and the notion of equality before the law means that a person must be granted equal access to the court without any distinction based on various factors. And where a foreign national who may not even speak the language of the receiving state is prevented from communicating with his consul to arrange his legal representation, it is questionable whether he has been granted access to the court in full equality with the nationals of the receiving state. So in his view, the right to consular access and protection under Article 36 is a human right as much as Article 14 of the ICCPR. So in conclusion, consular relations remain of great importance to both sending and receiving states. And the Vienna Convention on Consular Relations has protected and clarified the consular function and contributed to the improvement of the legal position of foreigners while maintaining their link to their home state. In my view, the ICJ litigation has, on balance, strengthened the exercise of consular functions such as notification and assistance, and has provided a gateway for judicial scrutiny and international attention in cases where no other legal remedies may be available. Article 36 is the example of a provision that may seem quite dry and technical on paper, but actually provides critical protection to individuals traveling outside of their home state.